0: Welcome to the Just Believe Podcast. I'm your host, Herbie Mack. Look, this podcast is raw, authentic, and unscripted. We're going to turn these hard conversations into conversations. This is the only way we can break the stigma when it comes to mental health and suicide prevention. Now, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review, baby. I need a five stars. Sit back enjoy the show. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Just Believe Podcast. I'm your host, Herbie Mack. Today, I'm honored to have this lovely young couple sit on here and educate me on something that I kind of heard of, didn't really know what it was, uh, preeclampsia. I was like, what is that? Um, So like I had someone close to me that was affected by it. I was like, wow, this, I never heard of this. You know, being a guy, being a male, you know, there's certain things that we hear like broken hand and and all this, especially with sports. But when it comes to women and once you see, when you see a woman give birth to a kid, you're like, look, whatever you want, you're a true superhero. And to me, I want to educate not only myself, but the followers as well. Well, hey, guys, how are you doing? I have two lovely young people here. Go ahead. Introduce yourself.
1: I can go first. Yeah, yeah. go for it. Um, My name is Courtney. I am a preeclampsia survivor. Um, I started my blog a little over a year ago, Knock on Motherhood, to kind of get my story out there and share my experience because no one in my real life ever had this. No one in my real life ever had a preemie baby. So I felt like I was the only one in the world to ever experience something like this. So with Stephen, my husband's encouragement, I started and then just kind of took a form of his own. I became this person who shares all about it, who shares my story and provides resources. And it's been really great.
2: Yeah, she's really just uh, taken a lot of the reins and sort of uh, helped a lot of people and connected a lot of people. Because really, if you get preeclampsia or any. Um, traumatic experience with birth, um, it can be isolating and it can be hard to cope and deal with it because there's a lot of people that get preeclampsia or have a hypertensive disorder within their birth, but they sort of just power through it and aren't given the attention that they need. And so our role in providing our podcast space, Knock on Parenthood, is to help others to realize that they're not alone that they have others that they can reach out to and they can be helped with whatever they're going through
0: well you know what i want to say thank you for being brave enough to sit there and share your story and it's so much easier when you have someone that's so close to you that's supporting you that loves you right like hey look baby don't worry, I'm here to support you. Whatever negativity is going to be said to you, I'm here for you. It's always, it's so comforting. Um, Doing this, like I can understand. Stephen. I applaud you for for being there for her because it's not easy, you know? And uh, Courtney, I know it's not easy to share that story and go through that pain. But when you do that, you don't realize, man, I'm actually helping one person out that's listening. Right. The, I'm pretty sure it took off in the sense of your your blog, that is, where you wasn't ready for it, because there, there is a place that women need to have this conversation and, and learn how to cope with it or learn how to talk about it or just to, to get off that funk. Like, man, I've been in a rut ever since. Like, I can't believe it happened to me. And it's like, wait, but you're not alone. That is so that is so key. Um, If you mind, how long ago was this when, when you realized that you had preeclampsia?
1: So my daughter's almost two, so it was a little under two years ago that I gave birth. Uh, So what had happened is I was about 32 weeks pregnant and I went to a doctor's appointment and they noticed that my blood pressure was slowly rising. So they prescribed me a blood pressure cuff to take home and then I took my blood pressure one morning before I went to work and then before I went to bed. They asked me to keep a log of it, of the numbers, and told me if it ever got over 140, over 90, if the doctor's office was open, to immediately go there, if it wasn't to go straight to L&D. And I didn't really understand what that meant. I was just like, crap, another thing I have to do before I go to work. Because I had a full-time job at the time. I was working at a bank. And so I just kept a log. So about five-ish days after that doctor visit, I hit 140 over 90 before I went to work. So I calmed down, and then I took it again to see if maybe it was just like my nerves or something like that. And I hit it again. So I mainly call Steven, who is at work. We were also in college at the time I had been graduated, but Steven had a well, two semesters left. Okay. So he was just working at a Jamba juice, but I call him and I said, Hey, I hit that number. He's like, well, did you, did you take it again? Did you take it again? I was like, yeah, I'm heading to the doctor's office right now. And he's like, okay, well, I'll try and you know get off and I'll meet you there. We only had one car at the time, so I'm the one that took it, and I drove over to my doctor's office, and it was probably about a mile, mile and a half-ish Yeah. from where you were.
2: So I get off work. I ask my boss if I can get off of work, and I literally just start running over to the doctor's office, and by this point, she had been there for probably two hours, and I couldn't get off for, you know, two hours, and then I get there. Well, I, on my way, I'm like, well, it's around lunch. She probably didn't have breakfast. She didn't have lunch. So I stop and get Taco Bell and (laughs) I'm like, yeah, my wife's probably hungry. She's pregnant. She's ready for food. Yeah. He's
0: like, I gotta be a good husband.
2: I'm running over there with my Taco Bell, (laughs) get over there. And she's like, she gets out of the, um, the doctor's office comes out to the car and says, I do not want Taco Bell right now. And me, I'm just like, okay. (laughs) My wife needs to get to the hospital right now. We're doing this. (laughs) Okay. And so we get her to the hospital and then that's, that's a whole nother part of the story.
1: Yeah. Well, Stephen kind of ran through the story a little bit. So (laughs) I didn't go straight to the hospital yet. (laughs) um yeah I went and see a doctor so the way my practice worked is depending on who was on call was the doctor that delivered your baby so they liked to have you meet with each one at least once so you kind of knew who they are they knew who you were and so I hadn't met one doctor yet and he ended up being a maternal fetal medicine specialist so that's the high-risk pregnancy doctor yeah um so he brings me back, he checks my blood pressure manually and with the machine, manually with the machine, he's like, think of your you know, most favorite place, most relaxing place, just trying to make me comfortable and see if it was actually just like anxiety or if it really was a high blood pressure. By that time, Stephen had showed up and he just kept telling him like, make sure she knows she was not overreacting, is so good she came in. We think, you know, she might be developing gestational hypertension um so let's just keep an eye on it and you can come see me on Monday because this was a Friday. They and me still continue to log and my blood pressure kept staying around the 140s over 90. So a couple days later I went to a doctor's visit and that's the one that he ran to because I called him up and he said they're sending me to the hospital and I'm not allowed to drive. <laughs> the hospital for my doctor's office was literally just around the corner. So it would take me like a 30 second drive, but I wasn't allowed to drive because my blood pressure was so high and I was spilling a lot of protein in my urine. And so they were worried that I would like stroke or seize. or Yeah, I have
0: a seizure because of the blood pressure being so high. Yes. No, no. I, see, I did a little homework on it, um, <laughs> but did they offer you anything as far as like um, magnesium to, to lower your blood pressure at that point?
1: Yes. Not this time. I was hospitalized twice. So the first time they basically tested to see if I actually was having preeclampsia or if it was gestational hypertension. So what they did is they do a 24 hour urine test. So they have to collect every urine output that you have put it in like this big jug. And then they test to see how much protein is actually spilling. So they put me onto the L and D floor. I got hooked up to the IV and all that kind of stuff. And they kept playing with blood pressure medication to see how much of a dosage I need to keep a stable level and things like that. And because I was on L&D, nurses weren't always on top of it because if someone was having a baby. Then
0: all yeah, the you got to go.
1: Yeah. So Stephen would unhook me from stuff. He would help me waddle over to the bathroom. And what they did is they had this kind of upside down hat plastic thing that they put inside the toilet. It's like when you pee, instead of going to the toilet water, it just went into that bucket. So the nurses, again, weren't always on top of pouring that into the larger bucket. So then Stephen's job became pouring my urine into a larger bucket. I'm like, I mean, being a good husband. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> true love for Yes, us. <laughs> yes.
0: If you're listening to this, I want you to understand that is true love, okay? <laughs>
2: I mean, you don't want your wife having to pee into a bucket that's already full of pee (laughs) and then it spill out or (laughs) be gross. Yeah. The way like every doctor's visit as a husband seems the same until that one where you have to do something and get to the hospital and things shift into high gear when you're in that mode and you, you are highly protective of your wife and what she's going through. And especially if, if she's high risk and the doctors are telling you is very important that she's been here and it's very important that she goes to the hospital and has all these tests to make sure that she's okay. Because that's what you wanna do is make sure she's okay.
1: Yeah, so that stay was only supposed to be a 24 hour stay for a 24 urine test. Um, but hour 25 came along and I was still there a, um, a nurse came in, and so they had monitors on my belly like to check her heart rate and contractions and things like that. So they, came, they would come in every once in a while to move it because my baby would move. So she came in to move it. And I was asking you know, when I could leave, and then she told me that I have to stay. I have to stay. And the whole time, I was like, I just have to get through this. I just have to get through this. Once I get home, I can cry all about when I get home. I can just... You know, and shower in my own shower and things like that. And I completely lost it. I I just started falling and just couldn't like hyperventilating panic like attack very much. So and
0: Yeah, it's yeah. a lot to take yeah. on within twenty-four hours. Yeah. But from from you guys having this plan and then having a different plan that's happening, it's it's hard. I, I can definitely relate and understand. Um so now hour twenty-five. And after you, you know. The emotions come out which is natural and i'm pretty sure steven over there was like let me just let it happen because you <laughs> have to get that out You like you have to and there's no words that you need to be said at that point it's just like this is a lot to take in and naturally you just got to release that emotion how was the doctor after that like you know after you calmed down and did was they hands-on or was they not because some of the articles that i was reading was scary you get some doctors and some nurses that's hands-on, that's there, that's gun hold, that's walking you through it, explaining everything to Steven so he can understand and, and so you can understand. And then you have some that's just like, when we get there, we get there. That's what it seems like that when you read some of the articles. So that so I want to know your experience.
1: They were very much, they told me everything I felt like I asked. Um, There's definitely things they could have probably offered up because I had no idea what was going on. It was my first pregnancy that went further than six weeks and it was my first, you know, birthing experience and everything like that and i was only 22 at the time. and so they offered me a lot of information like when i asked of like, well what does that mean? like what is, you know, what is preeclampsia. so first they explained to me that i had something called mild preeclampsia. it was basically not severe enough to make me give birth, but it was enough that i needed to be watched a lot. Um, the nurses, I feel like, were a lot kinder because they just, they would walk in on me crying. <laughs> and so I felt like they're a little more like, this is what's happening, you know, this is what we're going to do. So during that stay, because they were pretty sure I wasn't going to make it to full term, um, they scheduled me for a C-section at 37 weeks. And they gave me these steroid shots, which is pretty common if they have a chance to give steroid shots for a premature birth. Um,
2: it helps with their lungs developing and for some other, you know, organs to develop to be ready for birth yeah. so that they can
1: breathe. So the goal of these shots is that when the baby's born, they don't have to be on oxygen. Okay. The lungs kind of developed faster. Um, so they had to give me two rounds of that and had to be spaced out within 24 hours. So they gave me a round my second day and then I got around my third day. And those shots, they hurt like hell. They
0: oh, I awful. could imagine. They're probably like the, uh, like what they call mm-hmm. them, like horse needles type of shots.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And they were right in my butt, but like on my thigh. So like in a really kind of sensitive muscle. Yeah. There's, there's
0: like no tissue there.
1: Yeah, yeah it, it was awful. And I cried every single time. And like I curled up in a fetal position as much yeah. as I could with a pregnant belly. And it was awful. Um, so they finally released me, but I was on strict bed rest with bathroom privileges. So the only thing I could do on my own was go to the bathroom on my own. So that was about a week or so of that, of just me laying in bed and being lonely and hating that this was happening to me because I would gradually start to feel kind of sicker. I never I never had any headaches or anything like that. I swelled a lot, like in my feet, my ankles, my legs. So I wore compression stockings but I never had really bad headaches. I never had blurry vision. I never had upper quadrant pain, none of like the classic other symptoms of preeclampsia. And so I think that's the only reason they let me go as long as I did because I didn't complain of any of those other things. Um, so like Steven had to help me shower and he actually helped me shower for a couple months and after birth as well, because I was just so physically weak. So I go into a doctor's visit And it was a doctor's visit after the day before was Memorial day. And I had to go to the hospital for an outpatient visit to get an NST for a non-stress test to check how my baby was doing my blood pressure and things like that. And it was picking up contractions, but I wasn't feeling anything. I think they were about four minutes apart. Yeah. Four or five minutes apart, something like that.
2: She's sitting there on the bed with the whole contraptions on her tracking her contractions and she's like did I have one was that one no that wasn't I'll tell you when you have your next one Uh, because I'm watching the screen and it's going "Woo!" and then it drops down for another four minutes and then it goes back up and
1: to me it just felt like she was moving around in my belly because she moved around a ton she was very active baby and so I was like well Nurses kept asking me, like, do you feel those contractions? Like, am I supposed to feel them? Like, would I? I would know. Like, yeah, you would know if you're in labor. So, because of that, they let me go because I wasn't complaining of anything and things like that. And that was Memorial Day. So, the next day, Tuesday, um, my doctor had me come in right when the office opened and he, he checked my dilation because I was having contractions and I was already dilated to a three at they're only 35 weeks which that shouldn't be
0: (laughs) that is like wow baby's coming now pretty much yeah yeah yeah,
1: pretty close um and my blood pressure was sky high I was hitting up to the 200s over hundreds like it was really bad and I was even on the highest dosage of blood pressure medication and so it got to the point where he's like you're having this baby today you go straight to the hospital now this isn't a you know go pick up something at Walmart first you you have to go right now." So we're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I get to the hospital, everyone there recognized me because I was just there the week before, and they're all like, Well, we knew you wouldn't last very long. <laughs> it's like, well, thanks. Thanks for the support, guys.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, what am I supposed to say? Thanks, guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but before we get there mentally, what was going on in your mind? Like as you're receiving all this information, you know, you go there Monday, and you're like, okay, well. It seems like this is kind of happening, maybe sooner than we expected. And then Tuesday, you get the doctor looking at you like, no, we're having this today. What was going through your mind?
1: Um, beforehand, I was just really like, why is this happening to me? I'm only 22. I had no high blood pressure beforehand. I, my mom never had this. My grandma never had this. I was just so miserable my face was really puffy I had really bad acne and rashes everywhere I was just downright miserable and actually um the night before we're religious and so the night before I Stephen drew me a bath and I just laid in the bath and I was like I can't do this anymore like please get her out of me I can't be pregnant anymore and a lot of that
2: was in a prayer
1: yeah, like this, this sucks. I, do, I didn't sign up for this. I don't want this, you know, just get her out of me. This is not what I want. And so when it happened the next day, I was like, well, that's my, it's my fault. I prayed <laughs> for it. Like,
0: like, man, I really, I said it, but I didn't think this was going to happen. No, I get it. I get it. I
1: can actually mean it, mean it. <laughs> and so that kind of fed into the depression that started then is because I kind of felt like it was my fault, not only for the prayer, but also just It was my body, it was my job to protect a baby, right? And grow a baby. So when he said that to me, I was just kind of (laughs) like, okay, like, honestly, most of during that time, it was just kind of me just trying to get through it. I wouldn't let myself feel these feelings. I was like, it's just, this is something I just have to get through. I just have to get through it. You know, in a week from now, I can cry about it a week from now, you know, kind of thing. So it really didn't affect me much until, she was born and we were home. But for the birth, they had me hooked up to everything. Then that's when they hooked me up to magnesium and that magnesium is the worst. It makes you feel like you're having the worst kind of flu ever. You have the chills, you have the body aches, you're so hot, you're so sleepy and just out of it. Um, Because I was dilated to a three, my doctor broke my water so we can try and do a vaginal delivery. Um, and then they got me an epidural really quickly to, to try and do some pain management to keep my blood pressure low. And it was kind of fine for a couple hours, just kind of laid there and I was like, am I having a contraction? <laughs> <laughs> and it really drove Steven nuts because I'm sitting there like, well, oh, 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 nothing's really wrong. <laughs> I'm
2: just pacing around trying to yeah. talk. Through... I'm pretty
0: sure you're you're anxious at this point.
2: Yeah, I mean. I, I I couldn't really do anything. I was just there. I well, you supporting, 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 but also I felt like I was just watching it without being able to be physically there. You know, it was weird. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I I get it. I'm a I'm a uh, father too. So so when you're like you know you're seeing this, I'm like oh. Um. Do you, you need water? Do you want to hold my hand, like something? And and all I was doing was just supporting, right? And once she was having it, I was like, okay, whatever you need in life, you got it, because <laughs> like that takes some real strength and, and and whatnot. Um. So now, was you able to successfully have a vaginal birth, or they had to do a C section?
1: I I had an emergency C section. Okay. Um. Because a few hours later. They were coming in and her heart rate was decelerating really low every single time I had a contraction. And so my doctor was kind of nice to make me think I had a choice. (laughs) He just kind of was like, so I will let you labor a few more hours and see how it goes. Or we can just do a C-section right now. I was like, well, like, what do you think? Because I knew C-section rate was really low from the hospital I was in and I knew his was really low too. He's like, well, I would do a C-section right now. And he kind of gave some analogy of some cowboy <laughs> movie, which no idea. And so I was like, okay, well, what is like, what if I do more vaginal? He's like, it's probably gonna end up as a C-section no matter what. And so I was like, okay, like, I gave consent to have one. And immediately they hooked me up to oxygen. They called the anesthesiologist back, gave me a spinal tap. And within like 10 minutes of that decision, I was in the OR
2: cut me open doc (laughs) let's get this baby out of here
0: so how was that process afterwards
1: so i i was out of it um i was i wasn't under general anesthesia but i was so like drained yeah magnesium makes you very like out of it you're just kind of out of body almost experience um, I'm sure it was very annoying during the C-section because I kept explaining what I felt and asking if it was normal and like, I can still move my feet. Is that okay? Like things like that. And so they gave me a lot of stuff that like, <laughs> they drugged me up really well. <laughs> um, so then she was born, um, which was really nice. And she was born crying, which was really great because as I was being wheeled over there. I kept asking, well, is she going to have a NICU stay? Cause I knew she was through only 35 weeks. You know, is she, is she can be born crying? And they wouldn't give me a direct answer. They wouldn't tell me anything. They're like, we'll, we'll just see. We'll just see. Which at the time, I didn't think much of it, but looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, they didn't think she's going to be alive. Like they didn't think so.
0: Now that the, the knowledge that you learned over the, the few years of looking at it, they probably, you realize that now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And at the time I didn't, cause I was just so like, just, just got to get through this. Yeah. Um. So she was born crying. They gave her her Ackbar scores, which I don't remember what they are now, but they were good. Um, she was only four pounds and seventeen inches long.
0: Oh my! A very
1: tiny little baby, yeah. Um. So, and then they put her directly to the NICU. So the OR that we're in, they had a window that they just handed the baby over to the NICU team just through the window. Um. So I, I didn't get to see her. I didn't see her until it was 27 hours after she was born. Okay. Um, the times I just saw were FaceTimes from Stephen and the NICU were pictures. I. I had no idea what she looked like. Even when they were passing her, I couldn't see. I had no idea.
0: Steven, what was going through your mind when this was happening?
2: Um, So they wheeled her over for the surgery, and I was just all decked out in surgical gear. And, like, going in, I just let her squeeze my hand. I stayed by her face so that she could see me and have eye contact with me at all times. And... um. She didn't really want me to look, but I did anyways. (laughs) Um, You can't help it.
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) Anyways, uh, so then she gets done. They have her in the... um, They take her back to her room, and I go straight to the NICU, where I take the first initial pictures. I put up my thumb to her foot, and her foot's the same size as my thumb and I take my hand and she's as long as my hand plus a little bit of my forearm and then it just from that point became a juggling act between taking care of my baby or taking care of my wife. What am I going to do? Where is my time most effective? And it was every three hours I had to go in and I would take care of Cora's, um, what are they called?
1: They're called cares, and every three hours is when they do a feeding and then change her diaper yeah. temperature and things like that.
2: So I, w- I would make sure that I was there for every single one of those, even through the night, because uh, I would just sleep on the couch while Courtney was in the hospital, and I would then go wake up every <laughs> every single three hours just to take care of my daughter, Um, and I think that I I didn't do that every single time after like the first day or two but I was there often enough to help my daughter but also to support my wife through whatever she would go through because she would need to go to the bathroom and I need to help her up and she would she would be able to call a nurse to do that but I'm her husband so I
0: I got this. Yeah. Like, don't worry. I got this. Yes. No, I love it. I love the fact of, unfortunately, like you had to experience that, but it shows you if you ever had any doubts about your love life, it shows you like, no, there's no doubts. I'm here with you. Do this. You know,
1: I always knew he loved me. I really didn't know how much he loved me until then.
0: Yeah. That's the beauty of about experiencing something like this, where you see the support of your spouse. You're like, wow, wow, he could probably move the whole building if I tell him to. <laughs> like, he's actually doing this. If he's willing to, like, change out my urine, have probably two hours of sleep. And not only that, just keep running back and forth, checking not only on me, but our daughter, when is he sleeping? When is he eating? And if if I've, if you probably requested for some nachos, I'm pretty sure he would've ran and got you some nachos. And it shows yeah. you that. It's like, you know, it, and, and it's beauty. It's beauty in that, right? I always say, and always tell people, there's beauty in pain. It's just how we look at things. Um, no one, I, I wish this upon no one, but in this painful moment, you see the beauty of love. Right, I'm pretty sure this brought y'all together to a different level where you're like, "Wow, wow!" Like, we're really in love, and not only that. When you probably look into your daughter's eyes at night, you're like, "Thank you, thank you for for creating this moment to show the universe that true love really does exist, not only within us, but the 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 parent and you know parent and child relationship is beautiful. Um, how long was you currently in the hospital? Well, after that, how long was you in the hospital? I should say,
1: I was in the hospital for a total of six days.
0: Okay,
1: um, so this was only day one, basically. Um, all the days kind of run together for me because most of the time was just my blood pressure was too high for them to release me, um, and I also had to be on magnesium twenty four hours after I gave birth to make sure everything was okay. So when you're on magnesium, you just you can lay like in bed. You can't eat any solid food. So I was only having chicken broth, Jello, and like apple juice all three meals a day, and That's she
2: got sick have. of that. Yeah, and real quick. No, really quick.
1: <laughs> it's Not very flavorful.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: especially the hospital food.
1: Yes, <laughs> 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 and the reason they had that is because if something were to happen, or if I were to cease, so that way I wouldn't choke on real food. I would just be because no.
0: of the blood pressure being so high.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. I had, um, thick pads on the railings on my hospital bed. If something were to happen, I wouldn't hurt my head or anything like that. And they kind of counseled Stephen of, you know, this is what happens if she sees, this is what, you know, the signs of a stroke are. You got to watch this and tap the call button if you see it.
2: I'm like, okay. Yeah. Like I'm <laughs> yeah, on <but> it. <laughs> you know, you
1: to say that to a new dad, you know, no worries. You know, your kid's in the NICU and your wife may, you know, see the stroke, but <laughs> you know, no worries.
0: How long was your daughter, um in the hospital, when was she able to be released?
1: Uh, She was in the NICU for 15 days. Okay. So um, six of those days were us being in the hospital 24 seven because I was still hospitalized myself. Um, Most of the time I couldn't see her in the NICU during those days because my blood pressures were too high. And then also on day four, my eyes swelled really bad, like golf balls. I looked like I went like eight rounds with Rocky Balboa. Like it was, it was awful and no one knew how to do anything they're just basically like sometimes weird things like that happen after birth we just have to wait for it to decrease then my doctor came in there's a
2: diaper that we froze yeah (laughs) put it on your eyes so you walk in the door and my wife has a diaper (laughs) on her face and my doctor
1: comes in he kind of like pokes at my eye and he's like huh never seen that before
0: was it like a allergic reaction to something
1: no, it was just a swelling from preeclampsia. Wow. It was all the swelling. It just really manifested in my eyes, and I think a lot to do with that is because the night before was the first time I was able to see my daughter, and when they wheeled me over to the NICU, and I was just I was bawling. Right, it's not what I ever imagined. First seeing my daughter would be hooked up to tubes and wires and being an incubator. And it was kind of the reality of how small she actually was. And a lot of that was, oh my gosh, you know, this is my baby. This is my baby. She's been inside me. And a lot of it also was like, I did this to her. This was my fault. Like, what kind of a mother am I? It was kind of a mix of all those different emotions.
2: And then only being able to touch her through the plastic tubes. And
0: I I can imagine that's a lot to take on. Um, But once you love, how was that? Like, once you... Once you and baby is home, what happened? Like, was it like, like wow, this happened? Or was you just in a dark place from was, that
2: experience?
1: I was in a very dark place um, because we were poor college students and all the money we had saved up, um, we used a lot of it for the hospital and all the hospital bills and things like that. And so Stephen had to go back to work right away. So I'm 16 days post op with a newborn baby. And I'm still trying to pump. So I was never able to breastfeed her because she got um, prescribed a high calorie formula. And so I had to prepare the formula bottles, but I was still trying to pump as like, this is my way to contribute, right? Like I couldn't carry her to full term, but at least I can make some milk for her. Um, but that didn't work. And so I was really depressed by that because I would hook up to a pump for like an hour and not get anything out. And it's because my blood pressures were still pretty high. and honestly, just the traumatic experience. <laughs> like the last thing your body wants to do is to provide food for another person when you're still like. Healing. Yeah.
0: Recovery mode. Yeah.
1: yeah. And so I was really alone because I thought I had all these friends and family that cared about me. And when I needed them most, they weren't there. And that really hurt. And I just, this will sound really awful to say, but unless you've been there, you don't get it. But I kind of hated my daughter at that moment Because she did this to me. She was the byproduct of what happened to me. If I would have never gotten pregnant, this never would have happened to me. And it sounds really awful to say, but unless you've been in a dark place like that, you just don't understand. Unless you've had a traumatic birth, you just don't understand. And I felt very awful for thinking and feeling that. And I wouldn't, I never told anybody. I didn't even tell Stephen. I didn't tell Stephen I was thinking that until I was like a month into therapy on my own because. I felt so bad for thinking that like what kind of mother thinks about that about their own child. And so I just, I was sad. I just, I never had any plans to kill myself or anything like that, but I just kept saying, I wish I didn't survive. Like, I wish, I wish I wasn't here. I wish I could just disappear. No, like no one have any memory of me and just no,
0: disappear. I, I definitely understand. Um, You know, I'm, I'm a very empathetic person. So so I I definitely get it, um, and the listeners of this podcast would get it, you know, as well. The powerful thing that you said is when I went to therapy. That right there is powerful because you was able to not only release those thoughts, but you to get the help. Hey, this is why you're thinking like this, and don't feel guilty from this. Like, we we can only control so much. God, the universe, whomever you want to to call they are in control. And and for you getting therapy, I'm pretty sure you probably realize like, wait, okay. It's not that bad. Maybe this is how it's meant to be. If you would've got support from the family, right? You don't know how that would have turned. That's like devil advocate. They probably would have been like, we're tired of helping you anyway, figure this out on your own. But for you two, you created your own universe, your own galaxy, right? And I'm pretty sure the conversation, once you told him, Hey, look, I'm going to go seek therapy. He probably like, sure. Go ahead. This gives me an opportunity to try to be dad and get my butt kicked, trying to change diapers and feed. <laughs> but yeah, yeah.
1: He was really supportive. Um, so how we did it is I went before he had his first class of the day. So that way I could do it. I just, walked across the streets, ended up being across the parking lot of our apartment complex, and I went. Um, my first therapist, she was fine. She just kind of just let me talk, and I think at the time that's what I needed, but it definitely didn't really heal me, if that makes any sense. I think it was just kind of nice to get it out, to have another pair of ears, to actually listen and go, wow, that was bad, because no one really ever said that to me. They just kind of said, oh, I, I you're so strong for going through this. You're so strong, like stuff like that. But I didn't feel strong. I just wanted someone to tell me that really sucked. Like, sorry.
0: <laughs> a non-biased opinion.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's like,
0: dude, that sucked. It sucks that you felt this way. Yeah. Well, let's change this perspective a little bit.
1: You know, and that's all I, that's all I needed was someone to acknowledge that. And so she kind of helped with that way, um, but then we moved, and then all the COVID crap started happening. So, but I felt I felt overall better. Like I'm like, okay, I like life again. I want to be around and things like that. Um, but I kind of dismissed my thoughts and feelings because I was so focused on my daughter, and making sure she got the physical therapy and everything that she needed. And so, I was feeling okay. And about a few months. After her first birthday, Stephen really started falling into even more of a depressive state. Um, He was already feeling pretty depressed before, but it became unmanageable. Like it
0: started showing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like it really finally started hitting him of like, he was just kind of so focused on getting me better that he really wasn't thinking about or processing what happened. It just kind of hit him of everything that happened, everything that could have happened.
2: Well, and also I was there supporting Courtney and she was getting better and help from therapy and then she'd come home and she'd tell me, we talked about how I struggle with feeling guilty about doing this to my daughter and that I can't carry her and then, not that I have had guilt right away, but like over time, I just kept thinking, well, I'm the one that caught you pregnant. I'm the one that pushed for having a baby. I'm the one that wanted all this more than you. And it sort of became like, well, maybe it's my fault. Maybe it's not your fault in sort of a response to help her get better. Hey, don't think that it's your fault. It's my fault. You know, put the blame on me. And I thought I was helping, but it wasn't helping because it was tearing- Bringing
0: you down, yeah.
2: In the moment that that had gone, started up, I was having some trouble with my family and some conflict and uh, I also had to finish school. It was in my last semester and I was juggling everything, my school, a job, Providing for my wife, my daughter, my fin- finances, and it all just weighed down on me. And then um, I wasn't able to get a job in my uh, the career type that I wanted. I graduated with a physics degree, but I was working at a print shop, and it wasn't what I initially had in mind for what I wanted to do. But um eventually like with I went to therapy and that helped. I was able to learn how to cope with things and understand that those parts of me that are critical thinking and and critics of who I am and what I do and and they analyze every part of my life and tell me hey you're not measuring up and where i didn't measure up was where it was hard and it broke me down and made me a little bit um, numb to the world around me and that's where I, that's where i was at that point
0: i definitely get it i definitely get it and i applaud both of you guys for going to therapy um something that that i always tell people at some point we need to go to therapy you know we have a lot to unpack you know like even if you're not going through a traumatic experience if you if you pissed off about somebody cutting you off there's something for that right like why are you still mad about it that happened on a thursday it's like it's sunday you're still holding on to that like you know so so i always tell people that under like i haven't went to therapy yet and that's on my bucket list on being a suicide survivor like like I didn't understand the power therapy and just like you guys, I was broke. I couldn't afford it. So I had to learn like coping methods and healing and whatnot. But that's I applaud you guys for just taking that next step and doing it. Um, I'm pretty sure after the, the therapy session, who brought up having a blog?
1: Steven, really. Nice. Um, I like to write. I've always loved to write. And I was always like, it'd be awesome to have a blog, but what the heck would I what would I write about? <laughs> And so Stephen kept encouraging me, like you should just talk about your story. You should just do this. You should do that. And then my first therapist even suggested, like maybe start a blog. Like maybe there's other people who have it. But I was too shy too. I'm a naturally very introverted, shy person.
0: Don't get that vibe.
1: Blog.
0: <laughs> don't get that vibe. I'm just, I'm just telling you that right now. <laughs> I don't get that a vibe lot at all.
1: More extroverted now. I put myself out there a lot more this past Good. year and a half or so
2: something we both have to we've
0: both worked on to I don't get that vibe from both of you guys honestly you guys seem like you 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 know are a people person um I'm, I'm trying to see how to, to to ask this question okay after you finish your first blog, blog right and you hit publish what was going through your mind
1: to <laughs> <gonna> read this <laughs> Like... How are people can find me? Yeah. they just kind of blogged about like, oh, this is the craft I did. This is how to make like baby pancakes or whatever.
2: Applesauce muffins. <laughs>
1: yeah, little things like that because that was such a part of me. I don't think I was ready to share yet because it, it really changed my life course. And it really made me evaluate of how I want to live my life and who I want a part of my life. And so when May came around, which is preeclampsia awareness month, I was like, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to share my story. Even if like one person reads it, that's one person who knows more about it. And so I started sharing that. And then all of a sudden my Instagram just kind of exploded. I started connecting with other preeclampsia survivors. And I realized I'm not the only person in the world who's been through this. I'm not the only person who had, you know, a short NICU stay. Because a lot of the times when you think of NICU babies, you think of babies who have been there months and months and months. But mine wasn't like that. Mine never had surgeries. Mine never had oxygen. So it kind of felt like I couldn't say she was a NICU baby because it wasn't that bad. Then I connected with other women who had similar experiences as me. And they're like, it's still a NICU stay. Even if it was just one day in the NICU, that's one day too many. And so it really helped my healing of being able to connect with people who were like me, who went through similar things like me. And then also just getting comments of other women going, my blood pressure is 140. ninety. like, do I need to call my doctor? Yeah, you know, you need to. Or, you know, I had preeclampsia four or five months ago. Like, what do I do now? And I'm able to guide them. Well, you need to go see your doctor. You need to ask them these questions. You need to get these genetic tests and things like that. And it's just kind of helped me Learn more about it and maybe why it happened to me. And it kind of turned into maybe I was supposed to go through this to help other people. Like it really sucked. I obviously, if I had the choice, I wouldn't do it again. But it really made me come out of myself of a woe is me, my life is terrible, my life will never be good to helping other people and getting fulfillment with that.
0: Being a, a superhero.
1: Mm, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>
0: Cause you are. You are. Uh, I always believe in telling people, you know, with COVID going on, never know what can happen. But I always tell people, that's a guess that you inspired me. There's parts of it, like sharing your story with the world. It's inspiring. It's not easy. I always tell the listeners, it's not easy. And so when someone does that, you got to you, say you're a true superhero. Um, but before we go and we wrap this up, how common are like preeclampsia and whatnot? for the listeners that's just curious.
1: Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's not like common, common, but it happens more often than you think. So preeclampsia and related hypertensive disorders, so that's gestational hypertension, HELP, or eclampsia affects five to 8% of pregnancies in the United States. And in the past decade, the rate has gone up 25% of frequency and no one really understands why. Like there's a couple of risk factors, like if you're obese or if you have chronic high blood pressure or you are a baby from a preeclampsia pregnancy, like your mom had it with you or you have a history of it or your sisters had it. Like things like that are risk factors. But the only risk factor I had is it was my first pregnancy that went further than six weeks. And so no one was really thinking this would happen to me, but it happens to women like me every single day. And with all the COVID things happening around, the hardest thing is that pregnant women are going into the office and seeing their doctor every day. Their doctor is not noticing if their swelling has gone beyond the normal point. They're not being counseled. They're not taking their blood pressure. And so it really, it really scares me that all these women are not getting the care that they need. And it's because people aren't informed. Like in the United States, it should be a standard of care. For every pregnant woman to be prescribed a blood pressure cuff because what's the worst that can happen they don't have high blood pressure you know that's the absolute worst that could happen with giving them a high blood pressure or a blood pressure cuff it was a waste because they didn't have high blood pressure but what if they did you just saved a life you saved two lives and more than often than not moms die giving birth due to preeclampsia and their babies live. And what do the spouses have to do? They found themselves as a new dad and their wife is dead. It's just, it's sad. It needs to be talked about more. And the healthcare system needs to be fixed.
0: Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That was that was pure gold, as I like to call it. Um, so if there's someone out there that has experienced it, kind of don't know what to do, need some guidance, what would you tell them?
1: to seek out sources. Um, there's the preeclampsia foundation website that has so many facts about preeclampsia. Like this is the rate, this is what you should be looking for. These are what your doctors should be testing for. There's a lot of survivors on Instagram if you just search the hashtag preeclampsia or eclampsia or help. There's so many accounts out there that talk about it. And those women are willing to help. They'll, they'll help you no matter what. But the biggest thing is, is talking to your doctor. And if your doctor's not listening to you, you get a new one. Your doctor's working for you, not the other way around. So if you don't like the way your doctor's practicing, you go get a new one.
2: And the husbands should definitely advocate for their wives to get the care that they need to make sure that their health care providers are doing exactly that, taking care of their needs. It's you're an individual and you have individual needs. You're not the common person out there that needs to have a common care. You need individual care and you also need community to back you up. I love That's it, I love it. <laughs> to provide.
0: Well, thank you for doing this guys. This was a very amazing episode. I learned a lot. Uh, hopefully my listeners learned a lot. But before we go, come on, you got to let them know where to find you at.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so my blog is www.knockonmotherhood.com. And that's kind of the main hub of everything. Um, I'm really active on Instagram, and my app is Knock on Motherhood. Also on Facebook, Knock on Motherhood. But we also branched out into a podcast. It's kind of a branch of the blog called Knock on Parenthood. And over there, we talk about preclampsia, but also everything to do with parenthood of like all the struggles with it. The
2: unique and the unexpected challenges that arise while parenting could go towards uh sleep training your baby to having trouble with trauma or with birth and all anything between. I love
1: Instagram is knock on parenthood podcast.
0: Got it. It will be in the show notes down below. Uh until then guys we see you next time. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, anytime. Today's episode of the Just Believe Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you're currently going through a mental health challenge, don't be scared to look in the show notes and reach out to those resources. If people are gonna put labels on you, tell them, look, labels are made for jars, not people. Whatever obstacles that's facing in front of you, you can overcome that as long as you just believe. Until then, I'll see you next week. Peace.